0: Well, today um, we are starting a new series um, called True North. And so the question could be, why exactly, where does this... Um, title come from well as we were thinking earlier this summer what you know what could we look at when it comes to the fall I was reminded of a, a sermon um, series that a buddy of mine did not long ago uh, that was based on some curriculum called believe and it was talking about different things like what do we believe about God what do we believe about eternity about the church about stewardship about salvation and and I thought well maybe we could you know maybe we could do something like that and and so maybe that would be good and and so then we started. okay now what are we gonna what are we gonna name it we could name it Believe, but that's, you know, we could name it something else. So uh, Don Neiman and I were talking about it, and he threw out the idea, what if we call this True North? And I thought, eh, it's okay, not that great. And um, so, so then I started thinking about it a little bit more, and that very night, I read a book, or not a whole book, but I was reading in a book, and it had these words by James Smith. He said, that if the heart is like a compass, then we need to regularly calibrate our hearts tuning them to be directed to the creator, our magnetic north, or what we might call our true north. And I thought, well, that must be a sign. And so we've titled this True North. And a part of the reason why I wanted us to do that at this juncture is because we're living in a time of great anxiety, it seems to me. A time of great worry, a time of real change and flux. And I think it's easy in times like that for us to be attracted to lots of different things. But I'm not sure that those things to which we are attracted are always the things to which we should be attracted. And that actually, the one thing that we should mostly be attracted to is our magnetic north, is our true north, who is God. And so the question that I want us to wrestle with over these next few months is how does our view of who God is, how does our view of what salvation mean, how does our our view of what stewardship or the church um, 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 or humanity, how does that shape? how we understand the world in which we are living in right now. Sometimes when it comes to issues of theology, like who is God, it's easy for us to kind of detach that from our everyday life. But I want to ask the question during this fall series, how, what do these things have to do with how we are living? Now, Oftentimes, whenever we talk about something like God, if we want to understand God, you know, that you have to then kind of look at all different parts of Scripture in order to have a more fully-orbed view, and there's something good about that, but I also am not a big fan of kind of preaching by going from one text to the other, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's easy to kind of proof text, and, and quite frankly, it's just, I don't think it's all as productive as focusing more on one text. And so like today, when we're talking about God, and we'll be talking about God today and next. Sunday, because probably God deserves at least two Sundays of us to think about, Uh, we're going to be looking primarily today at the story of creation, at Genesis 1-1, and we'll be reading all the way through the fourth verse of the second chapter. So as I like to warn you, it's a little bit lengthy, uh, but I think it's a good thing for us to be reminded of. And so our question is, who is God, and what difference does that make in how we understand our world and our lives. And so let's begin with the very first words of Scripture. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work he had done in creation. And These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. When they were created. And sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we are reminded on this beautiful crisp day of the creation that you have made. And so I pray, God, that in this time that you would open up our eyes and our hearts, our ears to you, and to the ways in which that creation and who you are tells us something about who we are. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So the Apostles' Creed, you may know this, begins with the words, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Which, of course, is merely echoing the whole first chapter of Genesis. And so the first attribute that we have of who God is is that God is the one who has created the heavens and the earth. Now, uh, I'm not one who's going to kind of go off and ask exactly how God created that. That's not the reason why we're doing that. And I know that for some people that is incredibly important, exactly how it is that that earth and that the world was created. And while that may be an important question it seems to me that that question pales in comparison to the actual real question that the scripture is wondering whether or not you believe which is that do you genuinely believe that God in some way created the heavens and the earth? And by believe it, hopefully by now you know that whenever I say, do you believe it, the real question I'm asking you is, are you living as if you believe it? Because something it seems to me that most of us wrestle with is believing that actually God created the heavens and the earth, and that we, in some way, if not creating the heavens and the earth, we at least created ourselves in some form or fashion. Now, you may be saying, well, surely none of us really believe that. But the question is, it seems to me, as I look, there's at least a couple different ways that oftentimes I feel like I see from others and from myself, if I am so honest, how I am living as if I am the one who actually created me and what I have, right? We talk about this from time to time, the way in which we cling to what we have as if it is our own. We love the word, words like private property, don't get too nervous, but I'm just saying, we, we love that. We love to think and look at what we have done and say, do you see what I have done? Do you see what I have accomplished? We are a people who oftentimes wrestle with things like generosity and giving to others. We are a people who love to smugly compare ourselves to others. And all of those things, it seems to me, give a glimpse of the reality that in some way we believe that what we have or what we own or what we've done is of our own It seems to me that perhaps as God looks at us, God wants to remind us, well, you realize that everything you have and everything you are, as we talk about, is actually what you have been given is a gift. And I was thinking this week that while I'm sure that that bothers God, that we act like that, there's a part of me that thinks it may also be somewhat comedic to God, right? And so the image that I came up with, I don't know where I got this image, um, Well, I do, because this, of course, is a very important day in the life of America, right? It's the real beginning of the NFL season, not Thursday night, but football. And so the image I got was of a football. And just imagine, if you will, if there was a football. And let's say this afternoon at about 4.45 or so, all of a sudden, Andrew Luck throws a beautiful pass to T.Y. Hilton. An 80-yard pass, and it's a touchdown, right, which brings me joy because I have T.Y. Hilton on my fantasy football team. And so I'm, I'm excited about that, but the football, right, and so there's this great, right, the crowd is celebrating, everything And the football, right, this is an important touchdown, but it's not that important. So it gets thrown in to a group of other footballs. And all of a sudden, the football that just got thrown some 80 yards, all of a sudden looks around and be like, hey, you guys see that? <laughs> you see what I just did? Did you see the way I launched myself out of the hand of Andrew Luck? And then it looked like I was going far astray, and I just kind of scooted myself over right there into the hands of T.Y. Hilton. Did you see what I just did? And what are you guys doing? You're just sitting around here like a bunch of lame footballs and hanging out. Did you see what I just did? Is that not amazing? Am I not the football? Now, if you're one of the other footballs, you're thinking two things. First, how did this guy learn how to talk, right? Let's be honest, it would be odd. And secondly, what is he talking about? We know he didn't do anything. He's just a dead cow sitting there. Right? He, he first of all, he didn't create that cow. Secondly, he didn't kill the cow. Secondly, he certainly didn't thirdly, he certainly didn't tailor the football fourthly. It was clearly Locke who launched that ball down. Fifthly, it was obviously Hilton who made an amazing catch. And here he is talking as if he has done all of these things. And I think in many ways when God looks at us and the ways in which we think we have done this and how amazing we are, that God laughs because we are like that ridiculous pigskin who thinks that he's done something when all he's done has been there for the ride. Now, that doesn't mean that because God created the heavens and the earth that we can't take joy in what we have done, that we can't be proud or have some kind of joy in what we've accomplished or feel like we've used these gifts in some way. No, we absolutely can be joyful about that. We can celebrate those things. However, unlike most of the society that seems to pervade our lives, we must do so in a way of great humility. In a way that makes it clear that we realize that all of this, we just kind of were created in this way. Uh, One of the quotes that I love uh, comes from, when it talks about humility, comes from C.S. Lewis. I may have used it before. I am here to tell you I will use it again and again because I think it is one of the greatest ways to think about how we look at our own talents. And here's what C.S. Lewis says. Now, wait, 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 don't read it yet. Don't read it. Don't read it because you're going to get confused. This comes from the screw tape letters. And so when it says the enemy, it means actually God. Okay, and so it says the enemy, which is God, wants to bring the man to a state of mind in which he could design the best cathedral in the world and know it to be the best. Right? In other words, not be falsely humble and say, "Oh no, that was that was that that cathedral was lame." No, 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 to say it's the best. Right? All right, and be okay, rejoice in that without being any more or less or otherwise glad at having done it than he would be if it had been done by another person. You see what it's saying there? In other words, you can be happy with your talents. You can be happy with what's been created, but you need to be equally as happy, if not more, so that someone else had created that as well. That This is not just this this kind of fixation on our own talents or on what we have or anything like that. Oh, I'm sorry, we're not done yet. The enemy, I got excited about that for a second. The enemy wants him in the end to be so free from any bias in his own favor That he can rejoice in his own talents, right? That's what we're talking about. As frankly and gratefully as in his neighbor's talents or in a sunrise, an elephant, or a waterfall. That we can be full of joy, right? What would a Christian football do when it got thrown into the other footballs? Right? What would it do? It would rejoice. It would say, What a ride, guys! Did you see that? That was amazing. Man, how blessed am I to have been a part of that? Hey, I hope that you guys also get to be a part of something like that, right? That's the difference between thinking that this is something that we have done and that we have created it rather than God having created it. Now the second way, and this may be a way that we see it even more, in which we oftentimes are acting or living as if we have created this and not God, is the way in which we worry and the way in which we are anxious. We are an anxious people. And anxiety, by and large, is a desire to control the uncontrollable. And there is only one person, it seems to me, within the Christian understanding of the world, who can control everything, and that is God. But when we worry, right, and I've talked before, I've been very honest about my own struggles with worry, I know that when I do it, what I'm doing is I'm trying, it makes me feel as if I have some control. Even though I know I do not. Right? Whether it be a health scare, whether it be about the future of my children, whether it be about terrorism, whether it be about almost anything, when I am worrying and anxious about it, it is an attempt for me to be God. It is an attempt for me to feel like I am in more control than I actually am. And it seems to me in the midst of that, if we have the ears to hear, God is whispering into our ears in the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. And I wonder how many of us need to not only say that we believe God created the heavens and the earth, but how many of us need to actually believe it and to live as if we know that ultimately God is the one who created and who continues to be in charge of our world. God created the heavens and the earth. Now another attribute that we see of God in this passage is that God loves beauty and that God is remarkably creative. Now God could easily, it seems to me, have built a world that was very nondescript, that was kind of blah, that was just black or white or gray, where there were very kind of flat lines, right? God could have made us as stick people if he wanted to. Right? Now some of us are like, well, I could have handled that quite frankly, right? It would make some things a little easier, right? But God didn't. God made this world and made us full of color, tall and short, mountains and valleys and plains. And God made things of robust colors. I mean, as you look out, right, as you look out this window, right, we've talked about this before, this is why I love having windows in here. As you look out, you see the green, and pretty soon you're going to see multicolors of the autumn season, right? And we see the beauty. There are times when we look out and we see the snow that's coming down, or, or we see all of these flowers that are coming out. And as you look around, you see the beauty. You realize that that doesn't have to be like that, but God is a creative being, and God wanted to make things that were colorful and bright, right? And so whenever God did that, right, I mean, the Psalms, they keep talking about that. If you read the Psalms, you keep talking about the beauty of God's creation, and how we should worship God because of that. And I think that that's something that's actually a part of who we are innately. That's what I've come to discover. If I've learned, I've learned a few, quite a few things in being a parent, but one of those things is how being made in the and the image of God, a part of that is that we were born creative and with a sense of beauty, right? Our little 19-month-old, our youngest child, our 19-month-old, just in the last month or so, she has begun to love coloring. And you should see the joy on her face when she takes this kind of white blank canvas, whether it be a piece of paper, whether it be the table, or the floor, or the wall, whatever it is, you should see her when she begins to just throw up just random colors, how excited she gets. There's something within her that says, this is beautiful. Colors are good. I couldn't begin to count how many times my four children have colored or painted a rainbow. They love doing that. Why? Because there's something within us that loves brightness and color and creativity. We're born like that because it's a part of who God is by God's very nature which means made in the image we begin to reflect that same thing. And that's critical for us as Americans to understand because Americans are pragmatic to our core we like things that are practical it is a country run by I don't know how I say this accountants if you will and 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 other very now accountants are great love accountants but what I'm saying is is that it's a, it's oftentimes run by numbers and what's the most practical thing that we can do right that's a part of just a part of our nature especially as midwesterners right that's this kind of you know we have midwestern sensibility but there's something important about not always being practical and And about reflecting on the beauty of the world and the colors of the world. And wasting, as I preached a few, a couple years ago, wasting our time and even our money on appreciating the aesthetic and the beauty of our world. When, uh, right before I came here, I was in Grove City, Pennsylvania. 8,000 people, right? This is a very kind of odd thing. 8,000 people. Very small town in western Pennsylvania. And the church I served was called Tower Presbyterian Church. And maybe you've seen a picture, but this is the picture of that church, right? Now, remember, this is a city of 8,000, right, or a town, right? It's a very kind of odd place for a church like this, right? It's this kind of European, Gothic-looking place. And I don't have a picture of the inside, but when you, you, when you walk inside, you see, the thing is about this, this amazing sanctuary, and that's what most of that is, is sanctuary, it is the most impractical sanctuary you will ever find. Right, It has stained glass everywhere, which means, of course, you can't really see anything inside. And they're remarkably dirty, and it's incredibly expensive, like $100,000 a window to try and clean it. Right? It has this vast space. It's massively open, so it makes it very hard to heat or to cool. It's very long, so I could never see the people who were in the back, which made me always think that they were probably sleeping. Right? That's the only reason why you would sit that far back. I can see you all in the back here. It was amazingly impractical. But when you walked into that place, you could not help but experience the amazing amount of beauty. When you walked in, I mean, the the way that it was set up, you couldn't help but begin to look up and begin to experience the majesty of God as you looked at those dirty stained glass windows you couldn't help but begin to see the stories that were written in those windows of God's faithfulness as we read them in scripture as you sat down there was a sense of kind of that, that you were not the only person here and that God had filled that place and you could there was a sense of the saints that have gone before you it was remarkable that as you sat in this remarkably impractical place, space how you just experienced Experience the aesthetic and the beauty of God. Now my point to saying all that is, hey, let's let's tear this sanctuary down and let's build ourselves a $10 million sanctuary that's incredibly impractical. No. But it is to say that we need to remember that. Again, most of our bents, if you will, are to go towards what is practical and makes sense. And while that's certainly good, don't only do things that are impractical, it is also critically important for us to reflect at times on the beauty and the creativity of God because it is who God is, and it is who God has created us to be. One of our key theologians in the Presbyterian faith is John Calvin, who lived over 500 years ago, and I love what he said. He said, basically... God could have just created water. He created water, and that was great. But he also gave us wine to be merry, within reason. But there's the sense that it's not just the practical. It is about experiencing all the beauty with our ears, with our noses, with our eyes, everything, even with our tongues, the beauty of God. Another thing that we see about God in this particular passage is that God loves to bring order out of chaos. Right? That's exactly what God did. There was chaos in the world, and God brought order. And we see that throughout Scripture. It's not just in creation, of course, that whenever we see God working, he's oftentimes working in the chaos of human affairs, the chaos that we have gotten ourselves into. God loves bringing order to that. God wants this to be an orderly world. Right? Because it's an orderly world where we have boundaries and we understand those boundaries and all of those things where where we can have justice. It's only then that we can really flourish as humans and as creation. And as I started thinking about that, for some reason my mind was drawn to, to how how our jobs sometimes reflect that right we have we have people in the military we have police officers and their role in this world of course is to bring order out of chaos oftentimes and and then as i kept thinking about it i realized something which is that if you if you begin to think about this many of our jobs many of our vocations actually reflect who God is. And I don't know how often we think about that. I've I've talked about this a couple of times about how I think that far too often when we think about our jobs, mostly what we think about is what money are they bringing in uh, and how is it providing for me uh, if I have a family for my family, which is all very important, right? Clearly, a part of the reason why we have jobs is so that we can eat and live and have shelter, But I also think that God created us from the very beginning, whether you like this idea or not, from the very beginning to work. And a part of what we do in our jobs, it seems to me, is that we reflect who God is. I mean, think about this for a moment. Think about God's beauty. We've talked about that, God's beauty and God's creativity. And so if what you do, if you are an artist or if you are a sculptor, right, what if, or, or if you are a florist, or if you are a chef, or if you are a hairdresser, or if you are an entrepreneur, all of those things are reflections of a God who is creative and who is an artist and who loves beauty, right? So the job that you're doing, I want you to hear this, your vocation is both rooted back in how God created at the very beginning, and it also helps us look forward to when God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Or, or what about when God tells us to be dominions or stewards over the earth. This is speaking to those of you who are farmers or scientists, to those of you who are doctors or, or veterinarians or or, or those who, who work in gardens or who are lawn workers, all of those things. You know what you're doing. You're not just doing it for the paycheck that comes in. You're doing that. There's something inside of you that is resonating with who God is. You've been made in God's image, and that's why you like, hopefully, what it is that you are doing, right? Or even the sense of bringing order order out of chaos, right? Those jobs that we've talked about, the police officers and military, but there's others, right? Financial planners. What they should be doing, hopefully, is helping to bring order out of the chaos of your finances, right? That's the hope. Or what about engineers? Do we have any engineers that go here? What about engineers? Joe. Engineers, right? Or dry cleaners. Or this may be the greatest way of bringing order out of chaos, stay-at-home moms or dads, Right? What are they doing? They are helping to bring order out of chaos. And my prayer continues to be that each one of us can grow in our understanding that what we do is rooted in the very essence of who God is. The shame, and it is a shame, is that when we think about spiritual jobs or godly jobs, our minds are almost always drawn to only a work of a missionary or the work of a pastor. And I'm here to say, to remind us again and again, no, 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 the job of a pastor, sure, you know what, it's a fine job, but really a major part of our job is to remind you that your job is a reflection of God and to begin to see that. And the more that we can begin to live into how what we do is a reflection of who God is, the more meaning and the more production it seems to me that we will have. And the cool thing about a church like this is that you can look around and you can see God in what every person is doing. You can see how, the, how their work is reflecting who God is, the God that we see in creation. Now there are other attributes that I could certainly get to in this, but let me, let me end with this final attribute, which is that God, this is what I've been, one of the things I've been struck with this week, God is, is a God who trusts us and who gives us freedom. Now, that's a very risky thing to do. And quite frankly, there are times when I wonder exactly why it is that God has chosen us to be, as some have said, his agents, even his co-creators. But that's exactly what God did. God has given us freedom in order to be able to be creative, to work for beauty, to try to bring order out of chaos. God has given us the freedom to do that. And in reality, the only way that we can do those things is if we are given freedom. This is something that I was kind of struck by when I went to Romania uh, back in February and March. You're we driving through the streets of Bucharest, and as you're driving through, right, these are kind of pictures that you sometimes see. There are these massive apartment blocks, right, just block after block, and they were gray, and they were incredibly dull and depressing, right? All things that had been built during the communist regime, when there was little freedom at all, when there was really no trust given at all. And when you looked at it, you just kind of, you just feel kind of depressed, Right, And, and so they would begun actually to start painting these some colors finally to give a little bit of life. And, and then when I was talking to people who were my generation and even younger about their parents and their grandparents, they would begin to describe a people for whom communism and the lack of freedom had basically drained them of their ability to trust, of their ability to try to see beauty, of their ability to be creative, of their ability to be co-creators, if you will. And I have a feeling that we may not always think, about the way in which freedom gives us the freedom, if you will, to be able to go and to create and to be a part of what God is doing. And that's why God did it. Because God loved us so much, and because God is love and not a God of fear, that he decided to trust us with these things. But with that trust of freedom also comes remarkable risk. The risk that we will decide not to be co-creators and to come alongside God and to continue to bring a fruitfulness to this world, but that we would decide to turn our backs on God, that we decide to to start worshiping creation rather than worshiping the creator, to perhaps even deny God altogether, to work for chaos rather than to work for order. I was thinking about that, of course, this week as well, and thinking about September 11th. And the reality that in many ways that we may never be able to fully explain evil in a way that that will satisfy all of us is the fact that that with that freedom comes also the freedom, of course, to do evil. What happened on September 11th in our country um, was an evil act that continues to have repercussions. I mean, none of us will forget that. And there continues to be, in many ways, it seems to me, a fear and an anxiety that has come out of that. And I wish that I could explain everything about September 11th or why God would allow that to happen, but I simply can't. But what I do know is that we have a choice, it seems to me. And a part of the choice that we have is whether or not we allow ourselves to get drawn into that Or whether or not we say in the midst of all of that and the unknowns and the pain, whether or not we decide we continue to believe that God is a God who loves creation. That God is a God who gave us freedom so that we could continue that. And even though there may be evil done, we will not allow that evil to overcome us. So that we have a choice as followers of Christ, as followers of the God who created the world. Which is that rather than giving into and allowing that evil to overtake us, that we are going to continue to believe, we are going to continue to be creative, we are going to continue to see the beauty. And we are, and this is perhaps the most important thing, we are going to continue to believe that God is God. Therefore, we need not give into the fear and the anxiety that so many are wanting us to give into. And we give. Do not give in to that, not because we have a great military force, not because we have a great police force, but because of the fact that we have a great God. So the question for us is, do we believe that God the Father Almighty created the heaven and the earth and continues to be in control? If we are a people who believe that and who are willing to live that out, it seems to me that we can be a people who continue, even amidst the evil and the anxiety and the pain and the struggle, who can continue to point to the God who created us from the beginning and saying, God has not left us. May we be a people who reflect in the ways that we live, in the ways that we work, in the ways that we have humility, in the ways that we pray, in the ways that we have peace amidst the struggle, that we believe in God the Father Almighty, who is the maker of heaven and earth. May it be so. Amen. Let's